Right, we're going to look at God's Word now, and uh, whatever device that, that you've been looking at, you probably don't even need to look at that. It's Matthew 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And just as we going to think about that verse, let's just pause in prayer. Let's pray. Our Father, I give us ears to hear and minds to, to understand and to reflect upon what you would be saying to each of us today. Speak, Lord, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I got a letter from the opticians just a couple of weeks ago saying that I need to go for my regular checkup. And I didn't even need that letter to tell me I needed to go because it was pretty obvious that I, I do need to go uh, because no matter how far away I try and put the books at the minute or how much I blow up the things on my computer screen, uh, the letters in front of me just don't have that distinct crispness that we like to see in things that we're reading. Everything is just a little bit fuzzy and a, a little bit hard to read. Uh, but I'm trying to hold off as much as I possibly can at the minute because I don't want to be doing what many of you are currently doing at the minute, which is struggling with a mask and a pair of glasses at the same time. So if I can escape that for another few months, I'm going to try uh, my very best to do that. But if I go back to that idea of imperfect vision, because that's a, an image that the Bible so often talks about, to describe our imperfect way of, of experiencing God. For instance, Paul, when he writes in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12, he, he talks about how right now we can experience God compared to what we will actually have in heaven itself. And so he writes, now we see dimly, but then we shall see face to face. And of course, the sixth beatitude opens up this prospect of something I think that should resonate deeply with us all, and that is that experience, the wonder of actually seeing God, God in all his splendor and beauty and magnificence. And the Beatitude, uh, as we've read it this morning a couple of times, not only is it opening up this idea of wanting to see God, and, and, and we know that is something that we resonate with, but it also opens and shows us the characteristic that actually opens the door to seeing God. And the characteristic that this Beatitude is talking about is purity of heart. You know, the pure of heart will see God. But at the one and the same time, that beatitude while opening that prospect up to me, at the same time can also be seen as slamming the door in front of me because I don't feel very pure in heart very often. I think if we're honest, I can maybe think I could have a stab at some of the other beatitudes when we read, when we say the Beatitudes begin about being poor of spirit. And if we understand poverty of spirit is that 
understanding that we can't change ourselves and that the only way I'm ever going to change is if God himself changes me. I can resonate with that. I can understand that. And I can have a stab at doing that. And even when it comes to mourning over sin, I I have an understanding that I have plenty of sin that I can mourn over so I can get on with that. But being pure of heart is a lot more difficult. Uh, maybe even at this point, I don't need to say very much. I just need to remind you what James was saying uh, to the kids earlier. Because if we try and understand what purity of heart actually is, I'm going to try and maybe bring out a, a couple of pictures that might get to the, to the core of what it actually means. And, and the first one, uh, so I've forgotten my little clicker thing here, Ruth. So uh, it talks about... Uh, an undivided heart. That's maybe in some ways of what it means to be pure in heart, to be focused. Uh, If you're aware of of Bunyan and his uh, Pilgrim's Progress, there's a character in there called Mr. Facing Both Ways. Now, you don't need to know the story by heart to have an idea of what he's trying to get at in there. And this is what Bunyan writes about uh, Mr. Facing Both Ways. He says, he's a fellow with one eye on heaven and one eye on the earth who sincerely preaches one thing and sincerely does another. And from the intensity of his unreality, he is unable to see or to feel the contradiction. Elijah in the Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 18, is exactly the same sort of thing. When there's that big confrontation in Mount Baal and Elijah has uh, gathered all the people together and he's noticed what's wrong with the nation of Israel. And he's saying, look, I, I know that you want this blessing from God and I know that you want all the good things that you think come from God, but I've also been watching you and at the same time, you, you do chase after the Baals and you can't stop yourself at going the other way and being distracted with all these other things. And so the question that Elijah puts to the nation of Israel, 1 Kings 18, 21, is how long will you limp, waver between two opinions? And I think we can feel the force of that question even today because that's the experience that we live in, isn't it? I mean, how long will you go on trying to serve and honor Christ and knowing that's what you want to do? And yet at the same time, you have this sense where you struggle in doing that. Perhaps there's even some pet sin that you toy with or there's something that you just can't seem to shake and that's the reality. So you feel this word that that, that comes even from Elijah, how long will you waver between two opinions? We can feel the the Holy Spirit, as it were, just pressing that word into our hearts. And that's this thought of having an undivided heart because we feel most of the time that our heart is actually divided. And that's why it's important to keep in mind my second picture of the heart Because if you are a Christian today, then what I think you need to remind yourself of is that fundamentally, your heart is a forgiven heart. That's your fundamental position in Jesus Christ. And that's what you need to know. Because following Jesus, being a Christian, is not self-effort. It's not you trying your best. It's simply a reminder that you are a sinner, but you are a forgiven sinner. Now, we can talk about sin and out in the world, 
People don't really talk very much about sin, but I think if we understand even sin as being that sense of stain that's upon our lives, I think that resonates with most people because you know that you do a lot of stuff that hurts other people and that, you, and that there's, a, there's, a, there's a stain, there's a residue left from, from all of that. And so often we, we can see the dysfunction in relationships around and about us and we can blame other people and we can say it's always somebody else's fault. But the more that we look at that, the more that we experience that, we begin to realize after a while that it's not always someone else's fault that's, and that it's always around me. So therefore, I must be part of that. So there is this sense of stain or imperfection upon my life. And the Bible, that is what the Bible calls sin. And what Jesus has done at the cross, we understand from the Bible, is that that's what he takes away. That's the, the cleansing, that's the purity. And he's able to do that because he paid the price. He gave his life so that that sin could be removed. So that as believers and as Christians today, and if we're wondering what exactly it is to be a Christian, this is what it's about. It's understanding that Jesus has done that for me. And the confidence that you can have for that is in Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Can we hear that? Or Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that means that if you are following Jesus and if you've brought Jesus Christ into your life, you are fundamentally changed. Your heart has been cleansed. All that has been messed up, literally as James was standing at the front and, and his vision is, is impaired with all those distractions, in Christ all those things have been taken away. God is working in your life. But what we see in the Beatitudes, it's blessing. We can't, that's what you really got to see. These are conditions of heart that from God's perspective are so laden with blessing that you really can't do without these things. You, this is what you are to chase after. This is what you, you're to grab hold of. And how do we grab hold of the blessing that comes from purity of heart? Which is, of course, to see God. At this point, I'm, I'm going to maybe pick up two or three other verses from the Bible. Simple things that remind us that fundamentally when we are in Christ, we are forgiven. And if Jesus is working in our lives and that our hearts are different, then maybe the first thing that we've just got to remember is that we just need to trust him. And we need to trust in the work that he has already done for us. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. And may your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful. He will do it. That is what God's word has said about sanctifying you, making you blameless. And progress in the Christian life doesn't come about by you, as I've said earlier, trying really hard, but simply by trusting in what Jesus Christ has done for you. And there may be many points where you will feel unworthy 
and you will feel that you've messed up and you may feel buffeted and you feel weak and you've got no reserves and you may feel that sense of failure, then what you just need to remind yourself to do is to trust in what Jesus Christ has done and what Jesus Christ has promised to do in your life. You need simply to look to Jesus. You need to trust. And the second simple thing, of course, is that you need to confess. You need to confess the sin that's there because you do mess up. I mess up. 1 John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. A few weeks ago, we were thinking about spiritual mourning. And when I was talking about that and I was thinking about sin, obviously in that context, I was saying then that sin we're not to see it in a general, vague sort of a way and sort of feel that in an awkward sort of a sense. But sin will be specific. It will have a name, it will have a place, it will have a date. And what we see is that Jesus Christ has paid the price for that. So we confess that sin. And when we see sin approaching into our temptation approaching, and even before it can get to sin, we can ask for the Lord's help to help us. And we confess our weakness even in the midst of that. So we, we trust what Jesus Christ has done. We confess our sin and our weakness. And that's, I think, all part of just claiming and holding on to this blessing that God has promised, but I think one of the greatest things that we can do. And I've described it simply as worship. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, reads, And we who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, as you hear that verse, I think that is something powerful to say to all of us who would seek to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Because that verse has been describing someone who has been transformed by God himself. And as you read that verse, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, it also says how someone was transformed. And if you go back to that verse, what it says there is that it happens as we contemplate the Lord's glory. Now, ultimately, I know that the best sense of that and that transformation will not be complete until we reach heaven itself. And we will see Jesus face to face. But actually, the verse 2 Corinthians 3.18 isn't talking about that final glory. It's talking about here and now. And he's talking about the transformation that happens in the believer's life now by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you don't need to do that yourself. It's not willpower. It's not your self-effort. It's what Jesus Christ is doing in your life. So right now, even if you are struggling with sin or there's something in your life, and maybe you could even say that you're addicted and you feel, how will I ever get rid of this? How will I ever break free from this? I just can't seem to shake this. As 2 Corinthians 3.18 reminds us, we are transformed as we contemplate 
the Lord's glory as we worship. There's an aspect, of course, as we do that together now, as imperfect as this is. There's a sense that we do that at home every time we open our Bibles and we read and we want to meet and encounter God. But we are changed as a love for God becomes stronger and more definite in our lives. A Scottish preacher from the 19th century, Thomas Chalmers, in his most famous sermon, describes the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives with a sermon entitled, The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And he was describing what happens when the Holy Spirit is working in our lives and literally the Holy Spirit, and as we contemplate Jesus, it's in that contemplation that it then pushes out the things that are not becoming of Jesus, all those distractions. It's as we focus more on Jesus, it's as we worship Jesus that it literally pushes these things out. The things that you struggle with, the things that you wonder, will you ever be able to shake? Or if I make that a bit more contemporary, imagine a young boy who is addicted to video games and you wonder to yourself, how will he ever get beyond this? When will he ever stop playing these games? And then later on, he meets a girl. And he spends time with the girl. And he gets to know the girl. And that gets more and more and more. Literally, what you might say in that situation is that a new love has pushed out an old love. Hope it's not you at the minute, Aaron. <laughs> but that's what Thomas Chalmers is getting at, that our love for Jesus and the impact that it does and the impact that it makes in our lives. And as we look at the promise and blessing that is within this beatitude, the pure in heart will see God. But there's also a sense that it's, the reverse is true. Those who see God will be pure in heart. And I think the two work very closely together. In one sense, that's actually what happened to Isaiah. You know, in that classic chapter, Isaiah chapter six, in the year that King Uzziah died, he says he goes into the temple. And in verse five, he has this amazing sense of the presence of God and the impact that it has upon his life. And he says, woe is me, I cried. I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. I do believe that the devil will want to cloud your mind and your vision so that you cannot see Jesus, so that you cannot, in that sense, grab hold of the blessing that God desires to bring into your life. The devil will want to remind you what you once were, and he will tell you, how can you be any different? Look at what you've done. Look at what you think about. Look at what you're doing. But what you need to remind yourself of as you stand in Jesus Christ today is that that is not who you are. 
Because in Jesus, you are someone different. You are a child of God. You are no longer a slave to sin. You have been delivered from that. And that is what Jesus Christ wants you to enjoy and experience today. So let's just have and know that blessing that God's word wants to bring in upon your life, upon the pure in heart, that you will see God. And so we trust, we confess, and we worship that this might be our experience. Let's pray. Our Father, as we wait upon you, may we know that you are truly working in our hearts. Give us that confidence so that we will know the seeing God is not something for others and not for us. But Lord, this is what you want to bring into our lives this blessing that you can bring to us and give to us. Amen.